everyone, I'm Luke Marzano, and you're listening to the Church Relevance Podcast. This is a weekly discussion series with ministry leaders whose stories offer valuable advice and guidance. We engage in vital dialogue to encourage Christian leaders who might be battling burnout, navigating conflict, or struggling to find balance. Our mission is to ignite passion, create community, and inspire new ministry, one conversation at a time. Today, Pastor Sam Choi elaborates on his journey from the trap of idolizing ministry and wanting to prove himself to integrating his family into his ministry with a healthy balance that has empowered their church plant in the community. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Church Relevance Podcast. I'm Luke Marzano, and today I get to sit down with Sam Choi. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. It's so good to hear your voice and to reunite after all these years. You too. I, I know we were talking talk about you. that. It's yeah. been a how, how many? I think we moved in 2013, so six years almost. Yeah, it's been six to seven years. Yeah, yeah. The last wow. time you saw me, so anyone listen, I did a Melaleuca presentation in my living room, and then he never <laughs> talked to me again. So he and, and he and he left the state, so it, it didn't go well. <laughs> we moved a week later, so. Uh... <laughs> but anyway, I quit doing that. Yeah, actually, let us know a little more about uh, yourself, where where you've come from, where you are now, and, and your ministry you're a part of. I became a Christian. Uh, God saved me when I was 15. And uh, really quickly, uh, the Lord showed me that, man, nothing would make me happier than to see other people follow Jesus also. And uh, everything about my whole life just started to center around how can I live in such a manner and way uh, to see that happen. Um, and I didn't even know if it was full-time ministry at the time. I didn't really have concepts for that. just knew that I wanted to see people uh, love Jesus and experience what I did and meet him. And, uh, and so, um, went through a number of schools, man, I don't even know how to even skip all these details, but, uh, went to, uh, Georgia state university. And while I was there for two years, started to interact with all different kinds of people, start to broaden my understanding of what it means to be a, uh, a Christian, uh, became a youth, uh, minister, I guess it was a, like a interim youth minister over, a junior high and, uh, started to pastor in, um, those ways at 18, but was super unhealthy spiritually, um, was really passionate, loved kids, loved the Lord, but just had a lot of wounds and brokenness that I was operating out of that I didn't even understand. Left Georgia State to join this discipleship program. Uh, that discipleship program was extremely formative for me. It was a nine-month program called Master's Commission, and it no longer exists where I went to, but basically it was just nine months of just really seeking intimacy with Jesus and growing. And I went in there and I said to the the staff, I said, listen, I want to join this program. Um, I'm I am proud, but I hate my pride and I lack character. And I remember reading like a book on character and realizing, man, that I don't have that. Like I have two selves that I have. And I was very much in a culture that kind of had this split personality where, you know, the pastor had this mystique where he always was good and glorious and uh, the secret life of the pastor would be hidden and nobody wants to hear about that. And so I kind of adopted that um, culture and obviously, I wanted that culture too because I wanted to stay face. So I, so I absorbed that, and uh, that that nine month just nine months just completely dis- deconstructed me. Um, they they didn't let, allow me to preach. They didn't allow me to lead. And I just learned how to be content, being a servant, and being loved. And so I spent a lot of time in the prayer closet, meditating on the attributes of God. Someone gave me the book called AW, uh, Knowledge of the Holy, and I started reading through the Bible a number of times for the first time in my life. Um, right before I joined and really trying to see who God is and who I am in light of him. And I remember one distinct time where I was just meditating on Romans um, chapter eight, that I'm, I'm adopted. 
And all of a sudden, as I started meditating on over and over again, I just realized, man, all these father wounds that I had and brokenness started to be healed. And I just knew that I was loved. And so I left that program just excited to be loved and love and not having to have a platform. Because beforehand, out of my insecurity and my misplaced zeal, I wanted to be like this great preacher, this samtoyministries.org or whatever it is. Um, and, and it was just really powerful to just be content being loved and just being a servant and doing things in secret. Um, and obviously, as we, we all know, things come in, in layers and waves. And I thought I was like humble now. <laughs> so I went to a Bible college in uh, Simi Valley, California. That's where you and I met. Um, some little known guy named Francis Chan started it. And uh, I just knew I wanted more of the word, but I needed a word that was living. And I always had this impression that the word was dead. And those who got academic would would go die. Like, you know, seminary is called cemetery, right? For the soul. But I saw in Francis a radical commitment to Jesus and, and being in love with him, but also active in faith and caring for the poor and making disciples. And so I went there. I was there for four years. Um, that's where you and I met and, and crossed uh, paths a lot. And um, that was extremely powerful. My homework was studying the book of Matthew or, you know, reading John. And it was just amazing to be just formed around the word of God rather than just a system. And I thought that that's one of the strengths of EBC, at least that time. I don't know how much their curriculum has changed. I think it's similar. But if you remember, they didn't like shove down our throats certain doctrinal like uh, systems as much as just just saturate yourself in God's word. Um, did, did you get that exp- impression also, Luke? Was that yours? Yeah, experience? absolutely. The same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that was really good for me. So like the first time I heard what like Calvinism or, you know, Arminianism. I was, I was like three years in, I was like, I was like, Oh, what is that? That's interesting. Those are strange names. You know? And I, I love that because it just kind of really grounded me in the word and in, in, in a more pure way rather than trying to fit the whole word through a system. So there uh, met my wife on a Israel study trip. Um, and uh, we got married uh, 10 months later. Um, we got really close. Uh, she was also a uh, attendee of the school and then uh, became a youth pastor in uh, thousand Oaks at a uh, small uh, Baptist church there and uh, got to see God move and really work in a small group of teens that ballooned to a larger group. And we saw kind of a mini revival within that school. Um, I uh, was asked to plant a church by some people in the community and really started thinking about what it would look like to plant a church. And, uh, and, and, and I really thought that was just a garbage idea because I was like, man, I'm not going to plant a church, man. We don't need to plant churches. We need to go revitalize churches because that's all I knew. Like I went to a church that was was dying and unhealthy and to start to see the gospel bring forth fruit. So that's all I knew. Um, but I kept getting different people, professors and pastors saying, Hey, I think you're a church planner. You're wired. Like, you know how to form and shape and catalyze culture. <clears throat> and, uh, so I started reading in it and I started realizing, man, church planning is one of the most, uh, the biggest blessings you can do for a community and for other actually existing churches that actually challenges them and actually encourages them if you do it a certain way. And uh, it's actually really healthy rather than detracting from them, um, provided you go about it a certain way, like I said. So um, I started to get this burden to plan a church, but then the Lord really spoke to me very clearly, uh, just showed in my heart, like, Sam, do not do this. If you plan a church, you're going to split that church and you do not want to have your blood on your hands like that. Um, that is not okay. And so, uh, I, I, yeah, so I, I said no to that opportunity. Um, it, it was it was kind of given to me in a silver spoon platter almost 
where they were going to pay for my seminary. They were going to give me a full-time occupation. I already had a number of people who'd be interested in joining. And I got the blessing from another leader, a number of leaders that I respected and some really well-known leaders. And I, mm-hmm. it was all lined up, but it was one of those times where you just know that you know that you know God's saying something else. Right. And uh, the Lord kind of put on my heart a burden to care for leaders and father more leaders. And, to, and even as a young guy, just knowing that we need more healthy leaders. And so it gave me a burden to be a hero maker, a developer of others, rather than just try to build up yourself. And so I felt like the Lord just made it clear, if you want to do that, you got to get more training. You, if you want to be able to re- innovate, you got to do, you got to go through the traditional methods. And so I prayed and wanted a seminary that was didn't require Greek and Hebrew because I'm terrible at language. I wanted a school that was super cheap, that I could do distance from where I was at in California because you know our home was there. Um, and one that I could do like in a year and a half and just get the degree. And so the Lord sent me to Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, which is extremely cold. Um, takes four <laughs> years to do the MDiv, no matter how fast you do it. It was like 115 credits. Um, has one of the highest co- focuses on Greek and Hebrew out of most almost any <laughs> seminary in the world. And so the Lord kind of answered everything opposite, except that it's affordable. That's the only thing he answered. Yeah. So I go there, and, and I even I'm even visiting there. And um, while I'm at this conference, um, I'm just like, God, do I need this? Do I really need this? Oh man, I don't want to do this. And I remember the Lord speaking to me through a sermon, and He basically said, "Do you want more of me, Sam? Do you want more of me? Because that's why I want you here. Forget positioning yourself for future ministry success, or you know how old you'll be when you finish. Forget all that. Do you want me? Is that your?" one thing. Is that what you ultimately want? And I was like, yeah, Lord, that's all I want. I mean, not all I want, but that's what I mainly want. And that's what I, I want to be a place where I only want you. And so that really kind of broke the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And I was like, honey, I think we need to do this. And my wife was willing and, and we came and we moved here with a newborn to Minnesota and uh, in a, uh, sharing, a, um, <laughs> sharing a house with two other families and uh, just clashing left and right in our immaturity and our sinfulness. And, um, and, uh, and then for four years in seminary, I just cried through it all, <laughs> hated it. I complained. I, I stink at languages. I, I'm not naturally an academic. I'm a natural learner, but I don't like kind of the academic world. And I just wanted to leave like, you know, without being too um, over, over speaking too much. I literally try to leave every month. And my, <laughs> my cohort tried to talk me out of it, and they did. By God's grace. So wow. graduated. Uh, but during that time, I started to uh, plan to plan a church, uh, the church I was part of, Cities Church in Minneapolis, uh, or I guess now in St. Paul, they, um, they, they primed me to be their church planning resident. And it took me three years, had about 70 to 80 no's of people I thought would join me. And uh, after three years of planning and meeting with people and having interest meetings and having pilot groups, we finally launched All People's Church with a group of 19 in um, last last June, so 2018, June of 2018. So we just celebrated a year this last June, and it has been a ride. It has been very hard. It's been very painful at times, um, but it's been glorious because you know nearly everything that we prayed and planned and said we'd be about, we've been about. Um, we wanted to be a church that didn't grow primarily through unchurch, uh, church people, that they just liked our services more or our preaching or music, but people who really wanted to um, 
that, that we would grow through people who didn't know Jesus, people who would never darken the door of a church, people that, um, you know, basically we, we prayed this, basically, Lord, give us the people nobody else wants, because that's what you're about, Jesus. And, and Lord, would you send us Christians who are at their church, who are just sleeping giants, who are just not being catalyzed. They want to do more, but they're, they're, they're not being utilized, and they're, 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 their church is not equipping them and, and mobilizing them. And so the Lord send us those people steadily. steadily. So, um, you know, we're 16 months in or 15 months in, and it's awesome. It's so great. It's the best family I've ever been part of. We definitely view church as a family rather than just something you go to on Sunday. And so I would say our average member sees each other about four times a week intentionally. Um, there's a lot of discipleship happening. Uh, we've been able to baptize 12 in the last three months uh, or four months. And um, sorry, since May. And uh, we've seen a number of them being unchurched, de-churched people. And uh, it's it's really amazing to see people who were, you know, just sleeping, spiritually sleeping, and now they're alive and they're doing stuff and they're they're sharing the gospel for the first time in their life. They're they're bearing one another's burdens. We have a number of people who are trying to uh, live together so that they can disciple one another. Um, the first year was so hard; it was a grind. It, it just felt like we we're putting like Atlas pushing a a rock up a giant mountain. But right, right when we hit about a year, it just kind of broke through. and We started seeing people come to Jesus. We started to see people catch the vision, really own it, rather than just being clones, but they really owned it. Um, and so it's been fantastic. We have three staff pastors, me being one of them. And uh, that I, I, I w- would love to talk about that more if, if that would fit the, the heart of this podcast of how healthy that's been for my family and for our church. And, um, yeah, so, you know, feel free to ask more questions, but that's kind of a nutshell. Um, that's, yeah. that's, yeah. What a, what a ride to get where you are. Like, it's even just encouraging because, you know, God's going to take you in different ways to get to that spot. So I have, I'm going to start at the end with a question and then circle back to a question at the beginning of your church planning. But, um, it sounds like from when you hit that year mark and everything you've been doing since, uh, I mean, it sounds like kind of the that's like what you envision when you think of planning a church is just like you, the ball's rolling. Now the gears going, everyone's in sync. Is that what you pictured when you thought you were going to be a church planner? Um, I like, I, I obviously thought that would happen eventually. We wouldn't have planted if I didn't, didn't think that would ever happen. Uh, I didn't think it'd take so long. And I thought I was better. <laughs> I thought I was gifted, you know, and, and I just realized that, man, it's not about me, you know, and I think that was a really good lesson the Lord taught me also is like, hey, Sam, because uh, I was getting really discouraged at our lack of growth, our lack of fruits. And when I mean growth, I want to make sure I have biblical metrics, right? Like numbers matter because people matter. Numbers represent people. However, I wanted to, ma- I wanted to count like different metrics, like how many people are making disciples? How many people are praying? How many people are like sacrificially living their lives? And I just wasn't seeing a lot of that. I was seeing glimpse of that. And I guess I started getting really discouraged and the Lord kind of spoke to me and said, Sam, if you're getting discouraged because you're not seeing a lack of fruit that you want, like where you take it really personally, then the flip side will be true if the church starts exploding, right? You're going to take that personally like it's you. And so it was a really good, I don't even think that's what you asked, but basically I didn't see it that way. And it was, the Lord taught me a lot through that waiting period, Uh, even, even to launch it, you know, those three years of just number of people saying I'm in and saying no, like. I had a number of people say they're in and they joined us and were part and they left. And I was like, man, Lord, am I the worst leader in the world? Am I just like this crazy, arrogant egomaniac that crushes other people? Am I domineering? Like I just have to really check myself a lot. And um, anyway, so nothing about this whole planting process has been what I thought it would be. 
and I read a lot. Like I read a lot of stories. So like I was really aware of a lot of ways this play, this can go. But even though I did all that and listened to a lot of podcasts and devoured all the information, it still just surprised me and shocked me at times of how it went, this whole process. But, you know, as I look back, man, I couldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like God's plan is so good. It's so perfect. I, I couldn't imagine scripting this myself. And then even from when you first started that journey uh, with family, what did, what did you find was the, I'd say biggest struggle in be in church planning while having, you know, a wife and kids. Was it, was it tough with that balance? Oh, holy moly. It was. And I, at, at another factor, I was in seminary and seminary for some brothers was very life-giving. Um, but for some it's draining. And so I was constantly in a state of operating out of not my gift set and what drains me rather what gives me life. And so add that to me just being still insecure, chomping at the bit, wanting to prove myself um, with a wife with, you know, we have four kids now, but at the time we had two and three during the planting process. It, it was so hard for my family because I constantly idolized ministry. I constantly had this voice in my head. You know, the, let me share this one story that I think was really formative. I constantly had this like kind of, dark voice in my head that said, they're getting in the way. They're getting in the way. They're slowing you down. And I really felt like my family kept me back from all that I wanted to do. Like I needed to study more. I needed to learn more. I needed to do more for the Lord. And the Lord one day spoke to me very clear in my spirit. You know, and I keep saying the Lord spoke. I, I don't want to give the impression that I hear from the Lord every day audibly. I, I've never heard the Lord audibly, but I have heard the Lord speak in my spirit as if I heard it as clear as day. And it's only happened a couple of times in my life, but because you're just asked me to sum up, you know, 15 years, it sounds like it's every day. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I just want to give proper, proper perspective. Um, anyway, I, um, the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, Sam, your family is not in the way. They are the way. They are the way. That is ministry. And if you were to tell me that, like a sermon, like, oh, your family is your first ministry. Look at Ephesians 5. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, totally. Everyone knows that. But it hit me and struck me like, holy moly, like this is the mission God has given me, right? Like he is my mission, first and foremost, like my purpose to know him and love him. And and then with out of a extension of that is to love my family. Um, that's the mission. That's the way. And so I, I kind of, was in a state where I was dichotomizing family and ministry. And even though I would tell you not, I would say, Oh, I read that book. And you know, of course that's not, but I really was functionally. And so that moment was very formative as I saw other brothers in my life who loved their families way better than me and their wives. And at first I just excused it. Oh, that's just their personality or they're just not as gifted me. And, and then the Lord really showed me, no, Sam, like you're idolizing and you're not loving your family as I, as you are called to. And so that was powerful. And at the same time, I read uh, two books, Imperfect Pastor by Zach S. Wine and Michael Horton, uh, Michael Horton's book, uh, Ordinary. And both of those books really just showed me to how to revel in the ordinary, uh, enjoy the mundane, the day-to-day -day grind of life and seeing Christ in all of that. And by the time I graduated, towards my end of my fourth year, I finally got to a place where I was like, man, I'm just content being a son again and content being a dad and pushing my girl Eden on the swings and watch her so happy. Like I don't need to like be a pastor. And it was pretty amazing. Like that <laughs> I just got to a place of just, man, like I'm so happy being a dad and a husband 
and that is ministry. And that was, uh, and that changed a lot for my family. You can ask Joanna what kind of father and husband I am now compared to them. I still got a ways to go, but by the grace of God, I've come a long way and I really do prioritize my family. And not in a way where like we use this word like balance as if it's like, oh, you need to have like X amount of hours for this and X amount of hours. It's, and and, and I, I get why we say balance. I still say it, but I think really it, it, it's integrated, right? That like your family's integrated into ministry into Jesus. They're not separated. And obviously you, you need silence and solitude and you need times where you're ministering to people alone. But um, I just found it like just a, this freeing life of being integrated and bringing my wife and my kids along in the journey of disciple making and uh, following Jesus in everyday life. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, thank you. And that's just, it's so freeing because it's like what you said earlier too, is like you can hear the scripture and be like, yeah, I agree. I agree with that in a sermon. But like once it hits you in the heart, it completely revitalizes your mission and your goal and almost frees you to be, I don't want to use flexible, but more open uh, to be what God's called you to be. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's been sweet. God's been merciful and patient with me. And and with the idea of mobilizing the church, uh, I know we talked a bit about that before we started recording, uh, but was, was mobilizing the church something that you had looked forward to in the, in the church planning process or was that, uh, did that come along? Yeah, with the journey? no, I mean, it was, it definitely has taken on more color and has fleshed out more uh, now that we've been doing it. But that has always been the beginning. Like one of the reasons why we call it all people's church is not that we would only be a church of all kinds of peoples, but we would also be a church where all people are on mission. All people matter. All people are part of the un- playing their indispensable roles for each other's growth in Christ and also each other in reaching the world. And so I, um, you know, that from day one, we, we said, Hey, if you're going to be part of a church, you are a disciple maker. You may not be doing it overnight, but like you're committed to that. And th- there's no such thing as a, 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 a Christian who's not committed to uh, following Jesus and also making disciples. And so I think that that's was one of the reasons why it was so hard to get a planting core team because <laughs> yeah, right. what we were calling for was, was not, Hey, would you like to, you know, would you join our church? We're going to have a, a better service and better music than your church. But it was like, Hey, you want to like die. <laughs> like you want to take up your cross and die and reach the nations and maybe die in the process physically for sure, you know, emotionally all the time, but maybe even physically, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty radical. And, uh, and yeah, so from the beginning that's been in the DNA. Yeah. And, and what, what has that looked like for you and your family and church, uh, as far as mobilizing so far? Well, it's, it's looked like a lot of reprogramming because even people who mentally agree to that, it functionally, they still act like I am the professional minister who gets paid. And so therefore I'm the one who does ministry. So it's been mm-hmm. trying to, at every level model structure and um uh model structure and talk about it till they're annoyed by how much i talk about it you know so three levels of just constantly talking about it like your priesthood you make disciples you're part of the mission me showing it uh by modeling and also vesting power to others you know so if you were to come to any of our any of our gatherings of of, in any sort and and throughout the week um you're going to see many different people using their gifts and serving and that's very intentional. And, and me as as the founding or you know planting guy, um, trying to set that example of constantly letting other people use their gifts and serve to make it not about me because it's not about me. And and also we wanted to really be careful with the way we created our structure 
at our church so everyone, uh, so there's bandwidth because to be able to be on mission takes time, right? And mm-hmm. no one has time this day, these days. And so you have to be very, very careful that your structure is not in, indirectly, inadvertently shooting yourself in the foot where you're actually neuterizing your people from being able to be on the mission of God. And so I, I would say, like I said, for, you know, most members see each other about four times a week and, and, you know, th- that, that can be watching movie and stuff like that, but it's, it's a lot of times very intentional, um, pouring into each other's hearts, um, serving one another. And, and so it's just, we, we, we make a big deal about following Jesus in everyday life while helping others do the same. That's part of our mission, um, statement. And the reason why we say that is because disciple making is best done not like a weekly slot where I'm going to go out and do disciple making, or I'm going to go out and share the gospel, which we do things like that also. That's, that's valuable, but it's done in the course of everyday life, in the everyday stuff of life, in the in the grinds, the ups and downs of ordinary and extraordinary. And so we just have a lot of that happening as people kind of kind of jive in in the day to day life. So through all of this, one one thing we like to do on the podcast is kind of focus on how to prevent and avoid burnout in the ministry uh, with everything you've been through, even going back through school, uh, through the church planning process with family. Um, how have you found ways to avoid burnout uh, for, for yourself that worked for you? You know, right when we started, or actually before we started, um, I read um, a number of books from pastors who burned out. <laughs> so, I, so I basically was like, all right, let me, since I have, you know, the benefit of church planning is, that there's some more room for, 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 for flexibility and kind of build out your job description. And so I read, um, emotionally healthy leader, uh, by Pete Scazzaro and then emotional healthy spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. I read, um, the imperfect pastor by Zach S wine, uh, the book pastors are people too by Jimmy Dodds and then, um, leading on empty by Wayne Cordero Cordero. And I probably have read some other things and picked up some things in podcasts. Um, yeah, yeah, a lot of podcasts have been helpful for me too. But in all that, I, I said, okay, I'm 30, I'm 31 right now, but when he started, we were 29, 30. And I thought, okay, how can I have the rhythms of an old pastor? <laughs> you know, someone who's gone through it and already burned out. So let me just adopt that and kind of skip the whole burnout. Let's do that, okay? So I decided that I w- didn't want to burn out because like true burnout is horrific. Oh, also I read the book, uh, I Didn't See It Coming by, um, by uh, uh, what's his name? He has a really big podcast. Um, Carrie Newhoff. It just came out not long ago. Um, it's pretty good. It's not the ma- the best because he's just building off everyone else. So, and then um, a few books on productivity, um, like the uh, Productivity Project and just overall rhythms of life. Uh, Essentialism was actually a really great, 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 great book by Greg McCown. Okay, enough of those. So, if you're a reader and learner, those are lots of books you can check out if you haven't already read them. Um, so basically, uh, early on, I realized, okay, so if I really want to mobilize the church, I need to make sure that I'm, uh, and I want to make sure it's not about me. I need to make sure that I have a team of leaders. Leaders, I am very, very committed to team leadership. I was theoretically before I started, but now that I've been doing it, you know, like I said, we have two other staff pastors besides me. Um, we only had two for a while. Um, and then we, uh, and then we just gained one just two weeks ago, officially. I could not imagine being a pastor without other pastors. Like, seriously, I, I do not know how people do it as a solo person. I think it's so, so dangerous. And I know some people have been able to do it historically. Um, but man, there's just so many things that so healthy. Um, I don't preach every week. 
And that's on purpose. Not only is it a leadership development opportunity, it's also training your people to be under the word rather under a man or a style, but also it gives me the rhythms of life so I can actually be a shepherd and smell like the sheep and be among them and counsel and live life and be accessible. Um, now that we have two other pastors, I'm actually doing a rotation of three every three weeks. And actually, uh, Joanna, I told Joanna about this podcast yesterday and she's like, wow, they're going to ask you about self-care when you just did what you did. Um, I told, I told the <laughs> leaders yesterday, I said, Hey guys, I'm a little tired. I, I, th- and I'm, I think it's going to be healthy for me to take a month off preaching. Um, and they're like, they're super supportive and they love it because they just want to have more opportunities to preach too. And I think yeah. that's part of self-care is like checking your heart to see like, okay, are you, are you running on fumes? I, I know my prayer life this last week has been weak and, and I just feel like, um, you got to do things like that. I'm still going to be counseling and leading and being part of everything. But, uh, that's one thing, uh, is the team leadership, man, that, that one thing alone, having that rotation is so helpful. And if, if you're not there yet, I, I totally sympathize. I know it takes time to develop other leaders or you can have other pastors that you bring in. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. It's good for your flock. It's good for your family. It's good for your soul. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, weekly Sabbath is really important. Uh, having four kids, that's very tricky. And so we've had to learn how to have like uh, two days off, one day off, which is more like a chore day. And half of it is just me sol- having solitude and doing something life-giving like basketball. And then the other day is where I'm just totally serving my family. I'm letting my wife sleep in. I'm trying to do all the meals or take them out to meals. I'm, I'm super dad that day. And that's really important for the family life. And, um, and then also just habits of, of making sure I'm, I'm there most meals of the week. I, I have most meals with my family. Um, I make sure that I only have one night out a week that I'm uh, typically a week, every week. Um, I'm going to sleep and I'm making sure I'm sleeping about eight hours a night. Uh, I try to at least, and, and that's healthy exercise two times a week. Um, I wish I could do three or four. I'm not there yet. Um, we have this thing where every four months, every staff, every pastor has to go on a two day retreat, uh, to this cabin, uh, this retreat center that is free for pastors. And so that's kind of a mandatory thing. Um, we have four weeks of vacation time set apart a year on top of the Sabbaths. Uh, and then week or two of study leaves. That's, that's a new thing we're trying to work on. Um, we're just trying to think about how can we go, uh, be better longer for longer rather than trying to do a lot quick and burn out because we've just seen how unhealthy that is. Um, and so, you know, spiritual disciplines, I, I try to do literally every spiritual discipline out there uh, regularly and for my sake of my soul. And it's just, I think pastors really need to know like doing this is serving your church. It feels selfish at times, but it actually long-term is serving your people. Um, and then with that, the self-care it, it, in healthy rhythms, it's constantly growing in self-awareness. So I'm doing, I'm like, I'm big into the Enneagram. Like, I know that that sounds so like poser-like for me to do it, but I think it's really healthy. And all those assessments are really healthy, like learning yourself and, and being able to speak gospel to your, your, to the wounds and all that kind of stuff. That's super healthy um, for long-term ministry. And so many pastors are operating out of deficiencies because um, they haven't addressed those, those areas. So I know that was a lot, but that's kind of what I've been doing and there's more details on how I take care of myself and, and take care of the ministry, but that's kind of a, a general overview. No, that, that's amazing. I mean, it's, it's not only amazing, it's inspiring. Uh, even you've, you know, with the church plant for a little over a year, it sounds so advanced for how you're already taking care of the pastors. And like, I, I always default to like, I grew up a pastor's kid. And one of my big things I remember is seeing my dad, the pastor, do self-care, mm. uh, choose the family over ministry at times, take care of himself. And 
uh, people used to say, you know, is it, that's going to give your kids a bad picture mm. of church or what Christ is. But it was the exact that's opposite right. for me. It actually motivated me to dive into ministry more and, and love on it because you see that I'm going to use balance again because that's what we say. Um, but you get to see that because it's it's all one big ministry. Uh, and if you can't take care of yourself, you're not ministering to your family and then no one really wins. So, so that's really inspires, inspiring. Thank you for um, yeah. sharing all those tidbits. I, I think it's going to be a huge help for everyone listening. I mean, well. if I want to go speak a little firmer, if you're not loving your wife and your kids well, you're disqualified from the ministry. Like that's part of the qualifications, right? Like manage your household well, being a one woman man, if you have a mistress and that mistress is called ministry, you are disqualified. So I don't care how many people are coming to Jesus. You're now disqualified and you should get out of the pastorate. So I just think this is not like a matter of, oh, that's wise or that's healthy. You know, like I hear pastors being, oh yeah, I need to start doing that. Oh, I need to take a Sabbath. No, brother, you're in sin if you keep these patterns. It's a requirement. It's not even like, oh, that's an ideal thing, but hey, we live in a fallen world. No, like, Get that garbage out of here. Like you have to do this. And one, and you got to remember, you're not Jesus. Like you're not the savior. Um, and so you, I, I think so many pastors just buy their own hype and feel like everyone needs them. And uh, so they live, live, just say yes to everyone. They don't know how to say no. Uh, they don't know how to prioritize their values. And, you know, just, I think it's really important to know, like what are the values that you have and are, is your schedule matching it? Oh, okay. I need to share this one resource with whoever listens to this. Okay, it's called Timeular. T I M E U L A R. Timeular. And it's like this little uh, one of uh, my dear friends bought it for my birthday. And I, it didn't touch for a while. And he's like, dude, you'll love this. I'm knowing you. And uh, I, once I started using it, I was like, this is the best gift I've ever gotten. Um, and it's like this, this like cube that has activities on each side. And whenever you do an activity, you flip it on that side and it tracks it. Now the thing itself is like fifty bucks, but you can just go buy the uh, sorry get the the app on your phone for free. And I don't even use the the book the the cube anymore because it's so seamless. But basically, I can track my whole week. And so, like if I'm having uh, devotional time, I, I can click that. If I'm having time where I'm doing things for outside of the church, you know, like this. This is for outside. Uh, broader kingdom advancement. This is, I have a, I have a five hour slot a week for that, uh, or five hour budget for that. I have five hour budget for personal education. Um, I have time for counseling, time for sermon prep and, and leadership development and, and leadership and church life. So I have all these categories and week after week I can look and see, okay, are the things that I say that are most important for me being represented in my actual schedule? Is so helpful to constantly make adjustments. Oh, you know, I'm saying yes to too many counseling. Counseling's good and important, right? But if like you're only counseling, your your sermons are going to be crap, right? Or you're going to something else is going to suffer. And so there's always a there's a it's a zero sum game, right? Your time and your attention. And so you got to jealously guard it. Amen. And I think too that that helps play into I, I think in a lot of because in a lot of churches they don't talk about self care or time management. And it falls into two parts where one, you have guilt for having to say no to something because you're so busy. But but look, if you're able to track what you've been doing, you see that you've already put in time that week. And granted, it, circumstances sure. change. Yep, and, you know, you have to align it differently. Yep. Um, but I think too, there's a lot of areas in the church where we we think we have to suffer and, and that that's suffering for that's the gospel. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so it's, it's a refreshing to hear kind of not only what to do, but you just provided even another way to track that. And I, I'm calling it a guilt-free way to be able to do it and, and know what you're doing and how you're serving. There, there's definitely a paradigm shift that needs to take place. But also the fact is that people just don't 
like aren't secure in the gospel. And because they don't feel fully accepted in God and Christ, they're constantly looking for approval um, in other people. So that's why they say yes to too many things. And so it, it, you need you need the actual structure, you need the paradigm shift, and you also need to daily be just just uh, basking in God's love and acceptance in you and what Christ has done for you, so that you don't need to prove yourself. Yeah, and if you don't mind me asking, at what point in your journey did you find that paradigm shift for you? Was that during the church planning phase? Yeah. Was that uh, while attending school? Which which shift? Uh, the paradigm shift of, I guess, the the allotment of uh, time and balancing that out. Um, I think in seminary, that's when I read the book Product uh, Productivity Project, and that started getting my wheels turning. Um, I, I read some productivity stuff, and, and the the best books in that genre really talk about where your values at, and are your values represented in your actual actions and in mm. your schedule. So I think that's when the shift started to take place. But then I needed a long play, a long like you you can know that and still not live it because you're still operating out of like a neediness, and so you are yeah. feeding on the flock rather than feeding them, right? And so you keep saying yeah. yes, and you keep trying to build your own platform because you don't know who you are. And so that needed to take place and that took longer. And during the planting process, there was a lot of growth there. And so I could actually, actually apply what I believed theoretically. And I guess I I have uh, one final question for you, and then you could answer that and turn it into anything else you want to share to anyone listening out there. But looking back on everything you've done so far, um, church planning, seminary, uh, what's, what's a key moment or key thing that you either would do differently or wish you would have known, uh, back then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I'm so young, so it's not even like, you know, Oh, back in my day, you know? Um, so I mean, what I said earlier, you know, the, the books, um, reading imperfect pastor and then ordinary and, uh, by, by, uh, Horton just really just, you know, I, you and me were really influenced by Francis, right? And like David Platts and just radical, like you got to live. And, and I still, I'm all, all there and I reread those books and I still listen to those guys. But there's something about that that can create this unhealthy um, drivenness and a sense of you're not accepted in Christ unless you're doing radical things. And rather than operating out of acceptance to do radical things, you're trying to do radical things to be accepted. You know, that's a huge shift of thinking. And I just think that I really wish at a younger age, I learned, really learned that I was really believed the gospel. Like, honestly, like knew my identity as a beloved son accepted in Christ. Um, and, and from there really learned that I'm not a big deal and the kingdom of God can go on with or without me. And I just get to play my part and really understand the value of the ordinary and how God is slow. He's slow. He enjoys the ordinary. He created and sovereignly, providentially created the world to be slow and and to grind and to be, you know, just the eating, sleeping, drinking and the the daily life of work and stuff. And and I just, I feel like I just didn't think any of that was valuable. And it took me a while to learn that. I wish I learned that earlier because my wife would have been happier and healthier. My kids would have had more of me. Um, people would have had more of me. I wouldn't be talking to look by, past the person to use them, but just to really enjoy them and just be present. And I think that's a, something that Jesus did. You know, he's the kind of person that if you were to talk to him, you'd feel like no one else in the world mattered but you. If you were to talk to Jesus, I really believe that's how he carried himself, and he is. And 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 if you 
don't harmonize the reality of of everything is spiritual and all you know Christ and everything and just resting in the gospel you're going to just be using people and you're always going to be restless and chomping at the bit for greater opportunities and to make a name for yourself and I know that there's more of those layers in me that need to be revealed but God's done a great work and I just feel more content than ever and just more at peace at myself and I kind of know who I am now more and more I know what I'm good at what I'm not good at you're okay with that. It's fine. And it just takes a long, takes a long time for people to learn. And I think, you know, we, we lack a lot of guides. Like Paul says, you have many guides, but not, sorry. He said, you have many guides, but not fathers. And we need more fathers who can really speak identity and truth and purpose into younger men like myself. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for not only talking with us, but just being so open and uh, helping us learn uh, by you and with you and for you. And we'll, we'll definitely pray for you as you continue uh, to plant those seeds in your ministry, but also uh, as you show it to your family through the ministry as well. Amen. That would be awesome. Thanks. Appreciate you. It's so easy to get caught up in the mission of ministry that we lose sight of who the ministry is about. It's a great reminder that it's not about the, I have to do this, I have to do that, but remembering in a way that Christ has called for this and Christ has called for that. With that mindset comes the freedom in Christ that we get to preach His good news for all the nations to hear. At least for me, that makes it easier and takes the pressure off of me and fully relies on Christ. I'll talk to you next week.